This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm excited. I've got Dr. Lacey Book and Dr. Sean Dill. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Doing great. Awesome. You're uh, you're you're part-time Indiana, part-time Florida, right? You're coming to us from Florida right now. Uh so the weather's probably nice. If you can see my reflections here on my TVs, we are having like a massive lightning storm outside right now. So if you see me flinch, it's not what you said, it's what's going on outside. So <laughs> Well, I same because there's one on the way right now to our home. So <laughs> Okay. Okay. So we may be both dealing with it. So uh well, it's good to be with both of you. So you uh, obviously don't just wake up and do all the things that you guys have done with Black Diamond Club and and your office and, and all the stuff going on in your world. So I'm very excited to talk to you both. So I appreciate the time today. But maybe we could take a little bit of background from each of you and what's kind of made you the people you are today. And, and uh, maybe if you want to take a, a run at it, Lacey, we'll start with you. I love it. Such a loaded question. So it we'll is, see how concise it? I can be, right? <laughs> you <laughs> no, know, it's so, funny. I never know what's going to come out of people's mouth when you ask that broad of a question. So it's actually turned into some pretty good stuff. So that's oh, why I'm I do sure. it. Oh, I'm sure. It gives a lot of context too. That's so right. yeah, I'll start with me. I was uh, born and raised in Silicon Valley in California. I always say um, it, it was a really interesting life, an interesting world. I grew up around the corner from Netflix when it was one little teeny wow. tiny office. Um, used to walk my dog past it. I mean, I, I remember it, Google, eBay, Apple, when they were all like smaller companies. So it was a really interesting place to grow up in, you know, the land of innovation and entrepreneurship. And so um, I think that helped instill in me that entrepreneurial bug. Um, but yeah, I grew up, um, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money, which was interesting in Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, so I started working when I was 14 years old and I've never not had a job since. Okay. Uh, it's in my blood to work as much as possible. I absolutely love it. But um, it was great for me because I had a great work ethic at a very young age and was able to contribute to my family. And I think that's what helped me get where I am today. Um, interesting story. I, when I was 16 years old, I was working at a bank and one day this lady that she used to always wait for my teller window, she slid me her card one day and she said, I want you to work for me. And lo and behold, she was a chiropractor. I had no idea what that was or what that meant. <laughs> uh, but she told me that whatever I was getting paid, she'd pay me more. So I became a chiropractic assistant. How do you say no to that at 16? Right. <laughs> right. So that started my chiropractic journey, went to chiropractic school, um, and then met Sean along the way and ended up, you know, moving out to Carmel, Indiana and starting a multitude of businesses 
to help service providers across the planet reach more people and make uh, the lifestyle that they dream of. So that's awesome. That's it in a nutshell. Well, very good. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, did you meet him when he was in St. Louis at uh, chiropractic school? No, uh, I, he's got a couple years on me. So <laughs> I met him actually when I was in chiropractic school, he was already a chiropractor. <laughs> that's funny. That's good. That's good. Uh, well, what about you, Sean? Tell us a bit about your story. Well, I, much like Lacey, um, I grew up in a sort of a middle-class family. Then um, my cousin was a chiropractor in Mequon, Wisconsin. He inspired me to go to chiropractic college in outside of St. Louis. Um, my father was in the military, so I had kind of grown up traveling all around the world. So once we, once I graduated, I went to Costa Rica. I worked in Costa Rica for a number of years. I actually authored the law that regulates chiropractic in that country, moved back wow. to the United States, moved to um, the Bay Area. That's where I met Lacey. We opened up an office and uh, we franchised that office. So we have 13 locations now eventually moved to Indiana. And then being a wealth advisor, you all, you know, um, you want to get into a tax-free state. So we <laughs> jumped over to Florida, Florida. <laughs> and we live here um, six months and a day out of the year. Six months and one day later, right? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's sort of our, our story. We are sort of serial entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of experience working with service providers, people that provide a service, people that believe that whatever the thing is that they do, um, has the potential to change the world. We're big believers in that, in, in the fact that the majority of the world's best service providers live in relative obscurity, mostly because yeah. they refuse to embrace the concepts of marketing and sales. They see it as sleazy. They see it as business. Incongruent. Um, yeah. You have a lot of doctors that come on your show. So you are a, a great um, promoter of people and their services. Um, which is fantastic. But think about people who we think are the best mm. in whatever it is. You know, Dr. Oz, he must be the world's best physician because he has a TV show. But most people don't even realize what type of physician mm. he is, what his specialty is. Most people don't understand or know if he has a license to practice medicine <laughs> and if so, where. Um, and a lot, of show, a, lot of, a lot of stuff in the media is like that. Um, and so we're super hell-bent on helping service providers to bring their talents to the world. That's awesome. You're right. I mean, it's like if Dr. Oz says it, it's the gospel, right? But right. yeah, I have no idea what his background is or even what kind of doctor he is. So I'll admit that. Uh, but people do believe that. So I'm, I'm not one of those, but uh, there are people that certainly believe that. So uh, so what what made you guys decide to go to this level versus just running, you know, kind of a, a, a great top notch uh, white glove service type chiropractic office versus, you know, helping people all over, like you said, the planet? I think it, I, I, I want to say that it kind of fell into our lap. One thing that happened when we franchised our uh, specific offices, our chiropractic offices, is that we began to realize that business concepts are business concepts and they work almost across any, yep. any industry. And I think that that was very um, eye-opening for us. And what began to happen as people saw what we were doing in the chiropractic profession and how we were able to scale the specific business that we had, they started asking us a lot of questions. And so people started coming to us, you know, for advice, what do we do? And we realized that we could teach these things, marketing, sales, and mindset strategies to people that provided a service and help them grow in the same way we were growing our office. Um, but it, in all reality, it wasn't very easy. You know, we, when we started off, we didn't have uh, I always say two pennies to rub together. We have uh, two girls 
And we lived in a 625 square foot apartment um, and they slept on a couch. And we went from being in that little tiny apartment, growing and scaling this franchise, and then being able to take those concepts and what we learned and went through and uh, take them to other people. That's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. I mean, it's whether you're chiropractor and as you can imagine uh you know especially sean you know the st louis area there, i mean there's chiropractors all over right because of where the college is at um but then also whether you're an accountant a wealth management person i mean there's a bank on every quarter now like how do we cut through the noise and no matter pick your favorite industry with the people that are listening to this right now whatever they're doing for a living how do they cut through the noise and say here's why i'm different than that man or woman on that corner versus you know than what they're doing Well, I think that you are a perfect example of that, someone that people should model, actually. And the answer um, comes from one of our mentors, Jay Abraham, who talks about the strategy of preeminence. And so the way that you cut through the noise is to establish yourself as preeminent. And what that means is that you become the most trusted advisor, you know, over your over your left shoulder there, wealth advisors. And what that also means though, the way that you cut through the noise is that you're not just an advisor, just strictly on wealth. I mean, you take a look at your programming. So moving into a podcast, um, putting videos on social media, sharing um, contacts, relational capital, sharing knowledge, um, connecting the dots for people. Mm. What that does is it makes people understand that you are preeminent. So if you're providing this information and people are listening to Sean and Lacey and they're like, man, this is really good. What it does is it elevates Brett because then people are like, oh my gosh, Brett's you know, bringing these caliber of people to us. He must really know what he's talking about. And so the next time that I have a question relative to finances, financial planning, um, wealth planning, any of those things, well, the first person I would think of is you. And yes, you're in a very crowded field, but the yeah. way that you stand out is becoming the, the most trusted advisor. And that's an advisor on all things. You just become, and look, you know, you have the, the medical doctor of, you know, the 1950s was just the most trusted advisor. You would take your dog to the medical doctor. You would, you would, you would <laughs> do everything yeah, because they sure, were just yeah. the person that solved problems. Yeah. And I think that's the way. Yeah, and they went back, you know, they'd carry the old briefcase, right? And come to your house yeah. back in the day and, and take care of you. You know, that's why you trust them so much. So, but, uh, so when you see that, I mean, I think it's also hard to do that though all the time, right? Is to constantly create content or constantly do this and that but also be good at your job, right? Your career that you've chosen. And I think that's, for me, it's the importance of having a team, right? I, I, I think about our team here at work. And I think when you get people to do what they're uniquely qualified to do, that allows you to then try to work into your brilliance. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. And I think the hardest thing for people is letting go and beginning to delegate, right? Mm. We run into entrepreneurs all over the planet that that's the hardest thing for them. Number one is they don't know what to delegate. And then once they figure it out, they have difficulty giving it up to other people. And that literally is a limitation and a stopgap for them being able, like you said, to create content, get more visibility and reach more people, but they just don't know how to do it. And they get a lot of resistance to it. We see it a lot. But that leverage is hard. Go ahead. Well, yeah, what I hear into that point is that a lot of people tell me, and it's true, I would agree that Nobody could do whatever it is, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. The nobody could do it the I way do I do it. it. Yeah. You know, nobody exactly will do it like what me. I was getting ready to say. <laughs> See, you what, know. <laughs> what I always tell people is, and, and I agree, but what if we had an 80% you? And what if we had two 80% yous plus a 100% you on your team? 
Well, now we have a 260% output. Yes, yep. it's not 300, but this is beating one 100% you. Yeah. And so sometimes it's okay to settle for 80% of the production of what you think, and I'm, I'm going to wink at you because you think you're so good <laughs> at it. But even if it was true that it was only 70 or 80%, is there anything wrong with that when we are building a team? Some people are role players you know, in sports and they play their role so well, maybe that's not the person tallying all of the points or responsible for the MVP award and winning the game. But if everybody does their job, the team can advance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, so I got into what we would call leadership, management, whatever you want to call it, when I was in my late 20s and you know, now being 43. So I've done it a long time. So I've kind of got this delegation thing, not mastered, but I'm pretty good at it, right? Uh, if you ask my team, I'm sure they'd say you've got it mastered because you delegate. Uh, but I, I would just say that I think it's it's hard at the beginning because of what you just said, right? And I had a business coach tell me the exact same thing you just said. If if somebody can do it 80% as good as you, you've got to learn to leverage with them. And I think what I learned was to empower them is to get out of the way because you can always go delegate it and then say, oh, wait, and then kind of roll up your sleeves and work on it with them. My philosophy has been delegate get out of the way and empower them to learn and grow and make that decision and, and become really good at it. So thoughts on that? Well, that's the two people doing the work as one. And, and, yeah. and honestly, we battled that as a couple, mm. you know, we, we both are chiropractors. We both work in our business together. Um, it's easy to fall in the trap of, you know, oversight, or maybe I've brought someone in and now you and I, Brett, we're working on a particular project, but if we step back from it, it's a project that one person could have done. Maybe I didn't trust you to do it, or maybe you didn't trust me. And so now we're two people doing the work of one. I mean, there, that is the classic inefficiency that you find in so many businesses because you have a micromanager. And, and in reality, if you can realize this, then you can free up time to be more efficient. You can make more money. But the trap is there's a lot of people that don't realize this. And in essence, then you're just wasting money. You're wasting human resource because you're just doubling up on your efforts. Yeah, no, you're spot on. What, what have you guys learned, do you think, through this pandemic? And I say through it because I don't think we're actually all the way through it. Um, and so what have you learned that, though, from either, you know, as personal lives, but even professional lives and running businesses? What have you learned the most, do you think? Oh, I think the number one lesson out of all this, and we've always been believers in this pre-pandemic, but what we really learned is that um, collaboration and relationships are the most important thing when it comes to your personal life, but most importantly, stabilizing your yeah. business. Um, I think through the pandemic, we saw a lot of businesses unfortunately not make it, but we also saw, saw a lot of businesses thrive. And yeah. those are the ones that stuck their neck out and really put effort into helping each other, collaborating and deepening the relationships in their community and other businesses that they could do work with. And I think for us, we've been preaching that for a really long time, but we saw our relationships really thrive throughout the pandemic. And it's just benefited us in so many ways. And it's benefited the people that we help in so many ways as well. That's probably the biggest lesson. Yeah. Your 13 locations, where are those at? I mean, you don't have to name every single one of them, but I mean, they're across the country, right? They're not just like in Indiana or just in Florida. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. They span all the way from Hawaii to Tennessee. And yep. actually yeah. none in Indiana and none in Florida. Yep. Where we <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to work on that, right? We'll get to work yeah. on that. So, but I mean, I think that's important too, because even pre-pandemic, I mean, that's one of the things I notice as a leader now too, is having offices all over the place is 
is still connecting with those people when it's not just, Hey, I can go down and grab some water and, you know, say hi to so-and-so it, it's right. a lot harder when you're spread out. So for people that are listening right now and they've got offices here and there and they're leaders and they're trying to figure out how to stay connected through a pandemic, but even pre and, and post, what, what do you, what do you do for that? How do you keep, uh, create your culture all the way in Hawaii when you're in Florida and Indiana? Well, I mean, I think you'd get two different answers from us, but for me, um, I'm slightly older, born in 1971. Um, I, I am still a big believer in the personal connection. I mean, we didn't ever lose the ability to fly. Sure, if you're anti-mask, you, ha you have to wear a mask. Um, we held in-person events. We do uh, four events a year. We, we held in-person events through this entire thing. Um, in, January, in, in June, or I'm sorry, in August of 2020, we had 300 people together in Indianapolis. I'm a big believer that people now more than ever want that personal yeah. connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if that means I go to you. Um, that's what that means, right? I think that that will go an awful long ways. Now, I'm not so ancient that I'm like anti-Zoom or talking, you know, yeah. leveraging technology to you right now. We're not in the same room with you. Uh, but I also think that people are getting um, tired of connecting, you know, through a screen. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's harder for people to download content connection because of the distractions. And it, it's just a very difficult thing. And I believe that the people that figure out the actual connection um, have a massive advantage um, right now in post pandemic over anybody else who's trying to completely um, automate your business to where we all only interact this way. Yeah. I, I would probably add to that. My answer is a little bit different. I would say uh, transparency. For, for us, I think creating a, a super strong culture um, among your community, among your, your team, among the, amongst the leadership is being as transparent as possible. You talked about empowerment earlier. I find that when we're super transparent with our team, telling them the things that we're going through, the things that we're thinking, telling them our goals, you know, what we're trying to go after, who we're trying to help by having that level of transparency, even with the people that you serve and the people that are your clients and you take care of, man, it just creates a great community and a great culture um, because there's open lines of communication, ability to share lessons, and really an understanding of the vision and the growth that you're trying to go after. So we have always been transparent with the people around us, but I think we even opened that up a little bit more throughout the pandemic and people really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that transparency leads to a deeper relationship. Yep. And there's no doubt about that whatsoever. So, uh, Sean, one of the things it says here on your topics, uh, one of the things I want to discuss about in our research is you talk about this alter ego. Let, let, let's talk about that for a second. You, you hear like Kobe Bryant talk about his alter ego and stuff like that, right? So mm -hmm. when I hear you or see this down here, what's your alter ego? Talk to me about that. What is it? Well, that's uh, a derivative of Todd Herman's work. Uh, so I, I mean, uh, he'd make a great guest here on the podcast. Okay. Happy awesome. to uh, make that connection. Yep. Todd Herman, author of The Alter Ego Effect, his book available on Amazon. Um, and yes, Todd Herman works with people like Kobe Bryant. And um, through studies, what we realize is um, that we all wear multiple masks um, in, our, in our daily lives. And it traces back even when we were kids. Uh, I grew up as a single child. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't have brothers and sisters, so you make them up, right? You, you, I, I'm an only child myself, my man. Yeah. Right. So you, so you understand the yeah. alter egos, right? Like, yeah. you know, I love to dress up as superheroes. Um, you know, you talk to yourself, but what you realize is that, 
Um, a lot of people have this thing and when it comes to like selling, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to public speaking, where they're like, well, I don't like to do that, which is fine, but then create a character that likes to do that. And, and everybody on the planet knows mm. what it's like to play a character. And so just make the character, put some thought into it, make the character, and then you show up as that. Um, maybe you can create a, a, a character that is amazing at selling. And, um, you know, Todd talks about a lot of the things that might trigger you. Um, LeBron James puts that powder in his hands and throws it up. So there's there's these physical acts, you know, as a kid, you put on the costume and you become Superman. Yep. Um, LeBron throws the chalk and he becomes, you know, the king. Mamba went, you know, literally Kobe talks about when he became Mamba. Like he created that character. And then you have to have the, what, what uh, Todd calls totems, these triggers that put you in that. Um, Todd Herman wears glasses eyeglasses that have no prescriptive lens in them but when he puts them on almost like a reverse Clark Kent like he becomes this entrepreneurial master and so I think that that you know when I read that book and and I've had a few interactions with Todd um, that is something that's transformative for entrepreneurs and if whether you dive deep and you, you know you want to win the PGA championship yeah. and you become John Daly <laughs> to win it that's great or maybe you're just in, in work, but also look, if you wanna be a super husband or a super wife, that's a character that we play. That's a role that we play. And if some thought went into it and we actually worked at that character development, it's unstoppable. Yeah, well, it's visualization at its finest, right? I mean, right. you look at, you talked about golf and, and for those, I think we did this before we were recording. I talked about Carmel, Indiana. I was there in 1991 for the PGA Championship. Mm -hmm. The John Daly one, but athletes and my gosh, if you can, I'm sorry, but the microphone's picking up all this thunder and lightning going on. No, I can it's see loud. it in the, in the background. It's <laughs> yeah, amazing. It is so loud. I'm like, holy smokes. Um, uh, where was I going? But, but the, yeah, but the visualization is, is so powerful, right? Because it, you even see some of it in golf with these people, they shut their eyes. They're picturing the shot. I mean, so what advice do you have for the business person? That's not an athlete, right? They're not going to go hit that shot or, take the shot or make the shot, but they're, they're walking into a boardroom and they're getting ready to give a presentation. How do, how do we get there? What do you do? What's the pre-work look like? Yeah, we're, we're, so we're big believers in what we call anchors. And so we believe that you can literally embed the neurology of success within you. And so there's a lot of studies and stuff out there. And I think even Jordan Belfort used to talk, talk about it, right? Where you would go out and let's say that you um, had a sales presentation and you just did amazing and yep. you closed the client and they were all about the project that you presented. In that, in that moment where you feel that heightened level of success, you need to do something. It's either a physical act, maybe it's something that you smell, maybe it's a way that you clap or you touch your ear and you would literally embed that feeling of success in you. That neurology, it, it embeds itself in your neurology. And then if you do that over and over and over again, what begins to happen is you get to override your neurology. Now, say you're going into the biggest sales presentation of your life. You do that same thing before you go in. So you already have that feeling of success before you present, yeah. and it allows you to be more successful. And there's tons of studies on that. We have our clients do that, like I said, with smells with a, a movement or emotion or a word and they get to be successful and they get to be winning before they even do the presentation. I love it. I love something it. Something interesting to add there, the human brain. And I, I, I just, from the, 
from the content I've seen on, on your podcast before, I, I believe your audience loves like, you know, the scientific side, the actual yep. um, material side of things. And the, the interesting thing is that the human brain cannot distinguish between fantasy and reality. And that's one of the, the strangest things. If you stop for a second, your, your mind doesn't know the difference between things you're making up in your mind and what's real. Um, you know, for a mature audience, if you have a sexual fantasy thoughts, you get a physiological reaction, even though there's nothing happening. If you have thoughts of scary things, you get a, your heart races, your blood pressure goes up, even though nothing's happening. And so one of the really interesting things is that you can actually reverse engineer this and trick your neurology into believing things are happening, like you're closing the sale or you're mm -hmm. speaking in front of 10,000 people effortlessly, even though it's not really happening. And then if you do things over and over enough, what happens too is your, your neurology, your brain likes shortcuts. Um, how many of us have ever driven home and you kind of zoned out oh, gosh. and yeah. then you just are pulling into the driveway and you're like, how did how I, did I get, get here? here? Like yeah. Your body just does things on autopilot. So we could actually teach your body to be successful on autopilot if you chose to do so. Hmm. And how much work goes into that? Well, um, work is a relative <laughs> term, but it's like, I think it's how much thought goes into that. I like that. Right? That's true. You yep. have to put a lot of thought into it um, because again, it's, it's bringing yourself, a lot of people would call it meditation where we're just quieting the mind. Well, if we had purposeful meditation where we were um, in moments of, of deep thought, but we were programming ourselves to a future version or a future outcome that we desired, right. it's uncontrollable because your brain will manufacture that. Again, because you don't know the difference between real and fake. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've I I got a, I mean, if I could grab it over there, I'm not going to right now, but I carry my book, uh, my uh, briefcase everywhere I go is a, it's really a statement, it's a one pager. And it's kind of like self-talk and I've done this for years. I mean, like, gosh, this is, in, uh, well, this Saturday is my 20th anniversary of being in the financial services industry. And so nice. you, know, you learn a lot over 20 years, right? And But one of the things that I look back at my career, a constant kind of self-talk, self-motivation, self-challenge, uh, but goals and dreams and visualizations of where I want to be in the future. And I read that. And, and especially as I was younger, I mean, that was the morning and at night, morning and night every day. Right now, it's maybe four or five times a week, but still... Uh, I think that is critically important for our own success. Don't you? Yeah. That sounds like that's an anchor for you. You know, I mean, something that, that helps breed that success in you. And I love that you said that you do it. You used to do it at night as well. We talk about that all the time. You hear it everywhere. Oh, you have to have this killer morning routine. You've got yeah. to wake up and, and read your affirmations. You've, you've got to, you know, get your mind right. As soon as you wake up and we're like, yeah, but then what happens at, at noon? You right. know, if you right. have a negative thought process, noon creeps around and you're thinking negatively it's again, it's yeah. over. So I love the idea. We're big believers in, you, you know, if you're trying to change the way that you think, if you're trying to get to towards your goals, if you're trying to go after success, you need to interrupt the negative self-talk and the negative patterns that you have more frequently than just in the morning. And so I think that's key doing stuff at night as well. Well, it's, I mean, it's proven, right? That the sleep that we have, it, it, it's your body's actually recovering. And right. building the muscle, right? The building the muscles, not, I mean, yes, it's from working out and lifting weights and doing things, but the sleep is a critical part of that muscle. If you want to be stronger and faster, sleep more, right? right? While you're working out versus staying up all night. But the other thing I think when I put it in my brain, I read it, I, I don't know, I'm not a sleep expert, but I believe it to be true. And maybe that's half the battle, but I believe it to be true that what I'm putting into my brain, 
I'm actually thinking about it while I'm sleeping without even knowing it. So then you can wake up more energized. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so important that we have to have those times to self-talk at night, because to your point, I'm not a morning person. I right. try the you know, the whole 5 a.m. thing. And then like <laughs> by three days in, I'm pissed off. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I'm like, and I finally had to tell myself, you know what? I just am not a per like the miracle morning. Hell Elrod. I love that book. I love everything about it, but I'm not going to do it in the morning. Yeah. At least at five in the morning. Right. I'm going to do it. And I call it my focus 90. My focus 90 is when I first walk in the door at the office, what do I accomplish in the first 90 minutes? Yep. Right. And I think it's okay to not beat yourself up over not getting up at five in the morning and doing that. So if I followed you guys around, uh, Sean and Lacey, and I had a camera and I said, what, what are the things that no miss items that I would see every single day with you two? Well, my, mine is more in the morning. She, I'm more of a morning person than her, which I think is also, you know, important if you're in a relationship, not, not everybody's, you know, a morning person, like you said, um, and you have to be able to, uh, you know, modify your routine for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I like the morning times to get myself together more of a morning routine type of guy. Um, but I'm very big on goals and rewards. I usually have um, with myself and I say usually because I kind of flip back and forth between old school writing and electronic version. Um, but I carry around two books. They're just blank books. One of one of the books is called The Book of Yet, where I'm just constantly writing down things that people tell me or ideas that I have, things that people tell me but that I don't understand yet. Someone might tell me about um, a mega Roth IRA and I would be like, well, that sounds great, but I don't even know what that is. And so I would write that down um, because I just don't understand it yet. I can't compute it yet or goals. Someone might tell me, um, or I might tell myself, like, I'd really like to um, uh, go to France and but I, I'm not going there this month. So I'm not putting in my calendar yet. And so I'd put that there. Um, it's a constant check back and forth between that. The second book is my calendar. So um, another one of our mentors, Dave Meltzer, uh, becoming a student of your calendar, yeah. being absolutely um, committed to what's on that. Um, and so that would be a must like, I mean, and I think I saw on your, your watch, a calendar notification pop up. Yeah. I love that props to that because I like to run my life strictly off of what's on that calendar. If it's on the calendar, we're doing it. If not, I, I don't do it. Um, and so that would be kind of the routine that you would see, try to keep everything as smooth and as efficient and effective as possible. And I'm in a, in a race against the world to gain time against other people, not necessarily to gain money against them, but to gain time. And then I get to allocate that time how I want. I play a lot of golf. Um, and so I, you will see me race, race, race to try and accumulate time against the field. And then I'll burn that time doing something like golf, um, allow the field to catch up. And then I go back into that same race right. again. I think we get along. I like to play some golf. Uh, but I'm going to get to yours too, Lacey. But I think the, you made a comment of, of calendar management, you know, kind of, I think is what you said exactly. But I, I always talk about there's only 24 hours in a day, right? And whether you're the president of the United States or the whatever, I mean, from the top to the bottom, we all, we can't manufacture more time, mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's critically important to manage ourselves. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I have to manage that time and put in my family time and my play time with the work time. And I think sometimes we can prioritize over some of that stuff. And then you're just constantly working all the time. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that you said that because people always say, oh, it's time management. It's time management. Not, no, it's actually self-management, yeah. right? It's self-discipline. Um, and the most disciplined people actually have 
more time to do things. Right. And so that's a big thing for us. I mean, we have four large companies that we, we, that take up the majority of our time, but we're very specific about when we work on certain companies. And so our calendars are also, um, very, uh, very dialed in on what we do on every single day of the week. And if we stick to that, then we have time to do the things that we love, you know, going out on date nights, golfing, cooking, whatever it is. And so for me, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing, well, I have to have coffee. So (laughs) if you had, if you had a a camera following me, you would see no matter what, every day I got to start with coffee. Cause I'm like you, I'm not a morning person, so I got to get going, but I like to actually take my time in the morning because I'm not most creative. Then I like to be a little bit slower with my morning. And then usually about an hour after I wake up, then I'm going through um, a lot of the favorite things that I like to read, whether it's a book, whether it's articles, I like to feed my brain. Then I'll go in and look at my calendar. What do I have for the day? And then I'll go in on my emails. I never like to start with those because I hate starting off on other people's agenda because that just gets the day going off wrong. But then depending on the day and what company we're working on, that's what we go into. And, and we're very, very like really good about our time and sticking to what we need to do. Are you you both of you readers? Do you like to read? Yeah. Yeah. What, What are you reading right now? Right now, I am mostly reading just articles. I'm really into that. Was it Hustle? Oh, the Hustle. The Hustle. And so I've been just going through a lot of their old blogs, stuff like that. I love it because it, it talks a lot about um, businesses, entrepreneurs, things that are happening in you know, the tech industry and stuff like that. Sometimes I'm reading books. Sometimes I'm more into like blogs and articles and listening to podcasts. So that's kind of where I'm at. I go, I ebb and flow, but that's kind of my thing. And I'm yeah. in uh, Next Five Moves, Patrick, Patrick Bet David, Bet David. Mm-hmm. and um, and then I just I am constantly reading Mr. X by uh, Jay Abraham. If you can get okay. your hands on Mr. X, that I mean, you, you really don't need an, in my opinion, you, another don't, you book. don't need another book. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. X, huh? Mr. X. Yeah, Jay I've never even heard of it. And I'm a literally you person. could read two pages out of that book and have 20, 30 ideas from just two pages. It's it's a phenomenal book. And that's by who? Jay Abrams. Yes. Jay Abraham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Abraham. I'll write it down. I'll be buying that later if I can. Um, so talk to us about the, um, you, you talk about owning the stage. And, and so I, when I say that, I don't really mean like a stage, like I'm going to go out and you know give the talk. Right. But how do we build more confidence? I mean, people are coming out now starting to see each other and interact. And, and I got to be very transparent that I really kind of enjoyed this quarantine thing, man. And and now I've got to go back out into this world and you're going to different events and you're, and, and you're just going out. And I've learned that during the quarantine, I was only around my, my family and friends, mm-hmm. right. But now you're having to go out and kind of dust off the old, uh, you know, go out and shake hands and kiss the babies. Right. And so how do we get through that? Right. How do we get through that and, and stay confident and want to go out and do those things? I say my favorite line that I, live by is done is better than perfect. Like, I think the biggest thing is, is people just overthink stuff. I mean, it's not about going out there and having like all the confidence in the world. It's like, it's just about getting out there. Right. And I think that that's the biggest thing is, you know, people have, they struggle doing content. They struggle getting on stage. They struggle um, doing Facebook lives to their community. It's just because they overthink it. So it's not necessarily about how do I build my confidence? Your confidence will be built if you just get out there and start going. 
Yeah. I like that. So, and I'm assuming you guys are big believers in having a process. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. That's, yeah, a, so, that's a great statement. Yeah. And so uh, most successful people are uh, passionate about that. Right. So, so what are these things you call them system hacks, uh, right, Lacey? So what, what are some of those system hacks, things you can help our business leaders with right now uh, for their process or their systems that they follow? Yeah, well, number one, I think documentation is key. We're big believers in infrastructure before growth. So if you're trying to grow your business and trying to grow your company, man, you've got to get your systems down first. And there are so many ways now with technology that you can begin to create systems for your business that's really easy. Um, Number one, if you don't have a team, I love just documenting everything on something like Loom where if you're doing a process that's already part of your business, loom.com is a screen capture where you can just hit record. And let's say that you're setting up a Facebook post. You can literally record while you're doing it because you were going to do it anyway and talk into a microphone. And now you've got the process for how you set up a Facebook post. And then it's just sitting in Loom. And if you hire somebody on your Mm. team, now they can go watch it and they get to learn how to do it. So I love- I'm going to stop you right there if I can. So so again, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do client rebalancing. And I'm tailoring our team. He goes to Loom.com. I'm assuming you sign up, you get a contract or something. And then, uh, so we'll get some commission on that or something, right? For you guys. I'm kidding. Uh, This is not a sponsored ad. Yeah. And so he can go in and say, okay, here's how we do a rebalance, right? So for the next employee is as he's growing and he's phenomenal at what he does, that's training the next generation. That's that leverage that we talked about earlier. Instead of sucking up more of his time, we're sucking up uh, the loom.com time. And it's exactly, they can watch as many times as they want. Exactly. And what, what's amazing about that is like, you can stop the show. I'm out. No, we're you're done. done. Drop the I mic. Got, I got my ID. <laughs> well, let me, let but, me give the, the hack on that. The hack yeah. is you could leave it in loom, but the hack would be to put it in a Facebook group for your company. So visionary wealth advisors, Facebook group, the only people in the group are your employees. And we put the loom videos in there. That way, one day, Mary is no longer with the company. We just can kick her out of the group new person comes in, we drop them into the group and literally in the Facebook group, there's videos of how to do everything. And so, I mean, in, in the social media world, rather than using it as necessarily social, we could actually use it as a training ground as well. If we were able to be disciplined and not put you know, nonsensical stuff in there, we just literally had all of our trainings in there. We've got videos of everybody doing their job for the next person. And of course, if it had client sensitive information, you may want to put it in something more secure, but if it's just a process, you're okay there as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 That's me. Well, you put it on your intranet, right? You're in all the cybersecurity stuff. I mean, it's there. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I like that. So that was number one, infrastructure before growth, document the process. We can create these videos, put them in a Facebook group. What's, what's number two. Um, Just utilizing your team. So a lot of people say, Oh, Oh, but Brett, I don't have time to create all of these systems. Um, And I'm scared to hire because I don't have any systems to train on. Well, then that means your first hire is somebody that should be really organized. And then what you do is you can just train them. So you tell them this is how you do something. And then you leverage them to create the training guide for you. Now, here's the ticket, though. You have them go in and create the training guide. You just need to make sure that you review it. So now your only responsibility is to review it and make sure that they're doing it in the way that you thought you trained it. And then that's so great because you get to clean up your training processes and make sure that you're teaching 
is effective, right? So that's also another hack if you're going to go into hiring. I love that using the first hire to build your systems for you. Yep. Yep. Okay. Those are, those are two very good hacks. I like that. So what, um, what, what do you wish you knew 10 years ago, right? If you could look back and, and tell your 10 year younger self, Hey, you know, Sean Lacey, wake up. You should know this. What is it? <laughs> a million things. <laughs> First, I think that that's how you earn the right to uh, mentor, teach, coach, et cetera, is that you have a long laundry list of things that you wish you knew. Um, I know a lot of people that their answer would probably be nothing, um, but they probably can't pass on knowledge to somebody if you haven't learned anything in your 10 years. Um, I mean, man, I think, you know, taxes is one, the way, the way mm. taxes and finances work. When you talked about um, uh, getting through COVID, one of the things that, that in, in that experience for me that I learned in the COVID time, or you know, we're still in it, but in the peak of the pandemic, is that it's really easy to make a lot of money in an artificial economy. So if right. we're going to inject a lot of money into people, um, money flows from people that, know, that, that don't know what they're doing with it to people that know. Uh, it was an easy way to inflate the upper class was dropping money on everybody but them and then watching that money flow to them. You're seeing the billionaires of the of the world become hyper billionaires. Yeah. Um, so it's easy to do that in an artificial economy. It's really difficult to do that um, in a strained economy. And I think that that's a potential where we're, we may be headed. Um, and so at least from 10 years ago to now, uh, I am thinking about that. 10 years ago, I would have been like, this is great. And I probably would have bought a ton of stuff because we had a massive year. Um, now I'm a lot more conscious of that, the way taxes and finances work. And the other thing that I would say is the value of relational capital. Um, relationships, I always tell people now at my age, you could strip me of everything. You could take all of my money, our homes, all of our assets, as long as you did, left me with my phone, I'll be able to get right back in business. If I lost my contacts, I'd be in big trouble. But as long as I have my relationships, um, I don't worry about the future because relational capital is really what plays. Yeah. I can't remember. Somebody was on the podcast. It may have been Dave, Dave Meltzer talking about that. I can't remember who it was, but that that was a, a key learning for me is because you're right. I mean, I always say if the financial industry ended tomorrow, obviously that, well, let's hope that never happens. Right. Uh, but if it did, I, I believe through training, but through relationships, man, like you just said, I could get back up on my feet and be okay. It would not be fun, but you no. could do it. Yeah. Yeah. You could do it. Yeah. So well, that's awesome. So last couple of questions. So if I, I steal your cell phone from you, what are, what are some things you absolutely, besides email, cause that's boring. Uh, what do you hope to God? I do not delete. What, 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 con phone numbers. Or, or what yeah. yeah, well, yeah. So like not the phone number. So I'm going to put all sorts of rules. It can't be your calendar, your contacts or your email. I would never delete those. Is there anything else that you're like, gosh, this really makes my business run or my home run or whatever. <laughs> so I would say, so one of the things is our, our, our team is currently in Indiana. We're in Naples, Florida. And so you understand that if you're trying to manage a team, 
you need to have a mechanism where you can keep track of what's happening. Yeah. And so for us, we use ClickUp. Um, that's just our project management system. There's Monday, there's other things out there. But that, that for me, that ability to check in on where they are with projects, communicate, see what's actually happening in real time is very, very powerful mm -hmm. because it allows me to keep track of the health of our business. So I would hate for you to delete that app because yeah. <laughs> I would be disconnected and I would right. like it. Yeah. What about you? Well, I will make Brett happy. I'd say I'd say all my, my little financial folder. At least I could check. Here's I mean, oh, one and, password too. And, oh and, my god! And this is one that. And another thing that I'm a super believer in is, um, you know, and I think especially with with your field, you may resonate with this. Not only is it important our human relationships, but our relationship with our finances. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, I've learned throughout life that people that struggle with finances, aka people that don't have the financial situation that they want, they ignore it. Um, they don't want to look at it. People that are in a strong financial position, they are acutely aware. They are acutely aware of how much money they're managing, yeah. how much is in this bank account, what, what their investments are. And so one of the things that's super important, important to me, like as part of my morning routine is I do have a, an actual check-in with our finances literally every day. Yeah. Um, I go through, I have this, so, you know, a financial folder and I go through and I look and just see where everything is at. And, and it's in the same way that I would check in with my wife. Um, you know, if I was away on a trip, I wouldn't just ignore her for seven straight days. I would want to call and I would check in. Yeah, I want to have a check-in. And so, yeah. If I want to have a great relationship with my money, I need to have that daily check-in. Yeah. Um, and so that's also, I would say that my little financial folder, all the bank apps and the investment apps, and, and yeah. I, I literally go into each one of them and check them out every day. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like going to a, like here at a Cardinal game, right? You always look at the scoreboard. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you know, it's what inning it is, you know how many outs there are, how many balls and strikes, what the score is. It's like, and we do that with our clients, but, but is knowing the score, knowing where you're at is, uh, is critically important. So, um, well, awesome. What's well, been so fun having you. I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, um, on this stuff, but just lots of takeaways on that. Anything you want to leave us with anything? Maybe I didn't ask that you thought maybe I'd ask you'd like to, to leave one more pointer out there. Are we good? No, it's always, it's always a pleasure to do uh, interviews with professionals. Um, I'm sure you know how that is where you, you, sometimes you get on one and you're kind of directing the interview. So we're super gracious for well, even the word us. that you're using the word professional with me in front of a microphone. I'll, I'll take that. I, th yes. this, is a, this is a hobby and a passion for what I love to do is, is and that's why I do this is to give back to, you know, the community that we have uh, of visionary wealth advisor clients and the community and friends and whoever else listens. It's, it's fun to have access to people like you. And, and one selfishly, I learn, I call it my weekly therapy. And, you know, I take notes on every single one of these and it's just something that you can apply to your business. And that's my hope is for listeners to take one nugget from Sean and Lacey today and apply it to their business. Literally. So if it's 30 seconds of this 45 minute discussion, that's a win, right? It's a win for you. It's a win for us. So I appreciate you being with us today. Appreciate you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com.
This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.